The book, Real Life, Real Miracles, is a compilation of fascinating stories. One of the stories concerns the Nowak family. It's their last name. 2001, the husband, Dave, served as a, in full-time ministry at his church as well as prison chaplaincy. Unfortunately, his seven-year-old son, Tim, began feeling nauseous and lacking balance. The doctors discovered that the left side of his brain was not working properly, and he appeared to suffer from a stroke. A CT scan revealed a tumor the size of an egg on his brain stem that they believed was causing the stroke. So they scheduled to do an MRI in the morning. The doctor gave sober words to Dave about his son's prospects. After Dave put the boys to bed about 2 a.m., he went and prayed to God for three hours. Or perhaps better said, he kind of more ranted at God for three hours, upset that his son was sick despite all of the service that he was doing for God. In the morning, he sat at the kitchen table and said to God, quote, You've heard from me, now I need to hear from you. So he pulled a Bible off the shelf and planned to read from the Psalms. And as he laid the Bible on the table, it opened to Jeremiah. And it opened to Jeremiah 32:37 that had been highlighted. And those words say, Behold, I am the Lord. I am the God over all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Dave stared at the words, God is speaking to me, he thought. It's a question of my faith. Do I believe this is too difficult for him? He shut his Bible. No, he said aloud. A strange sensation washed over him. His worries evaporated, replaced by feelings of confidence and peace. In that instance, he understood that Tim would be okay. So at the hospital, the doctors told Dave that the MRI showed no tumor. But they were going to go back and look at what caused the stroke. Dave asked the doctor, if, the tumor, if it was the tumor that caused it, and the doctor did not respond, so Dave asked him if he believed in miracles or in God. Again, no response. The doctor did say he was determined to find the cause of the stroke and to be prepared for six months of rehab because of the severity of the stroke. Three days later, another doctor spoke to Dave, who also believed in God. He reviewed the records, and he said this was a miracle that happened. He told him that the other doctors did not believe and would try to find a natural cause. But after six days of continued improvement, the doctors gave up and released Tim. And he has been fine ever since. It's always wonderful hearing about God's power to heal. God never promises to heal every time. But the one who created us, the one who sustains us, when he so chooses, can also heal his people. Today we're going to read a story about Jesus healing a man who likewise had a son on death's doorstep, but was healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at that passage 
And we're also going to explore why Jesus performs so many healings. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 4 for our passage today. Jesus heals the official's son. John chapter 4. Now, we are in the midst of a series on the Gospel of John, and I'm focusing first off on the seven signs that Jesus performs that John describes. Now, a sign is a miracle that John chooses to, work, to use the word sign because it describes something that goes beyond the miracle itself and points to a greater reality. And that greater reality is the belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus, we know, performed more than seven signs, but John picks seven because the number seven symbolizes fullness and completeness. And so if you will just read these seven signs, what John is trying to say, you will see a complete and full testimony about who Jesus is. Last week in chapter 2, we looked at the first sign. Do you guys remember that? The first sign? What happened? Jesus turned the water into wine. An amazing sign. So, that was in chapter 2. So after Jesus does this, He then travels to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal with all of His countrymen. While He's there, He cleanses the temple, runs out all the money changers who were changing the place of God's presence into a place of a marketplace, so to speak. And it also symbolized that one day that temple was going to be destroyed and a new temple was going to take its place, and that is the body of Christ. After that, Jesus in chapter 3 has a conversation with Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, about the nature of salvation. Chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with a Gentile Samaritan woman at the well. We will come back later in the series and talk about both of those conversations because they were so incredible. But we're going to keep going with the seven signs of Jesus. And so today our passage, it's very simple. It's a very simple passage and it's often overlooked in comparison to some of the other signs of Jesus that are a little bit more dramatic. But this sign that Jesus does is remarkable in its own right. So if you're with me now, John chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verses 46 and following. John chapter 46, and we'll read verses 46 to 50. John chapter 4, verses 46 to 50 is where we'll begin. So it says... So he came again, speaking of Jesus, to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. At a Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So the first part of our passage here is that the official pleads for Jesus' help. The official pleads for Jesus' help. So Jesus returns to Cana of Galilee. That's where he, of course, did that first miracle. So he's coming back there. And 
In Capernaum, we hear about this man, an official whose son was deathly ill. So by official, it's referring to the fact that in some capacity, he served Herod Antipas, who was the ruler over the region of Galilee. So somehow this man served under Herod Antipas. All right? Now, if you recall, the other Gospels talk about this Herod Antipas. He's the same guy who took his brother's wife, married her. John the Baptist was not very happy about that. And John preached that what you did was immoral. So Herod Antipas arrested him, John the Baptist, and ultimately beheaded him. All right? So that's who he worked for. And so when this official heard about Jesus returning to Galilee, he decides to go visit him over in Cana. Now, Capernaum was about 14 miles away. And it would have taken a longer time to get there because Capernaum to Cana was basically walking uphill for 14 miles. I hope he had his Fitbit on that day because that thing would have been blowing up. That's quite a walk for one day. And so assuming he left around noontime, or excuse me, the crack of dawn, he would have arrived around lunchtime or so, around noon. All right? And so when he gets there, he goes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now you might have expected Jesus to be overjoyed that this man came to see him. But instead he rebukes him. But it is worth pointing out that Jesus' words are actually addressed in the plural. In other words, he says, unless you all see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. So Jesus was not only talking to the official, but he was talking to the crowds that were around him. Why does he say this? Well, obviously Jesus is not against signs per se, right? He does a lot of signs. He's not against doing signs. But his signs have a purpose, don't they? They're not just a sideshow. They have a purpose of pointing people to who Jesus really is. They are there to stir people to believe in Jesus. Or, if they are already believers in Jesus, to strengthen their faith in Him. For example, Jesus says later in John 10, 25, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about many. So these signs that Jesus does is meant to create, stir faith in people. But unfortunately, for many people, they focused on the signs themselves and not on the one who performed the signs. Moreover, Jesus desires that people believe even apart from the signs. In other words, that they would just listen to His words and the truthfulness of the things He says and of His character and to see how He fulfills all of these Old Testament promises and so forth and just to simply take Him at His word. The signs are not wrong. They're tools and aids to create faith. But Jesus is happy when people will just take Him at His word. And we see throughout the Gospel of John where Jesus gives kind of a sober assessment of people's lack of a sincere and genuine faith that has this over-reliance and over-preoccupation with signs. 
So for example, back in John chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, he says, or it says, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when he saw the signs that he was doing. So when he went down to the Passover, he did many signs. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus recognizes this sort of false, superficial faith that's based on signs only. Does everybody see that? And then in chapter 4, right before this passage we read, when Jesus comes back to Galilee, it says in verse 45, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So the crowds welcomed him. They were glad to see him based on these signs that he had done. But notice that there's no attention given to who he actually is. So when this official comes to Jesus and the crowds are surrounded, Jesus points out their over-reliance on the signs. The signs are not the end point, right? The stopping point. They're the means to the end. So just file that in your brain, okay? That this is going to come up again and again in the Gospel of John, this over-reliance on signs, and this will, how, this will ultimately lead to the rejection of Jesus. Remember how we said way back in the prologue, it says Jesus came to His own, but His own people did not receive Him. And you see kind of this being played out just page by page. But in response here, the official said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. And so this official, he's pleading to Jesus out of a sense of desperation. And then in verse 50, what does Jesus tell him? Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So incredibly, Jesus knows that not only is this son going to be healed, but he will heal him himself. And he calls it in long distance. Jesus doesn't have to make that trip if he doesn't want to. Long distance. He just simply declared it, and it happened. Now, before moving on, I want you guys to see that, notice that that official believed. He seems at this point to possess a sincere faith in Jesus' power to heal, or else he probably would not have left Jesus. He would have kept staying around, Right? But he left Jesus and went back home. His leaving shows that he had faith. And unlike most of the crowds, he didn't see any sign to believe in Jesus, right? He just simply took Jesus at his word. So he departs for home back in Capernaum. And it would have, he would not have been able to make it back home that day, so he would have had to stop on the way and spend the night. Then let's see what happens when he gets back. And this is the second part of our passage. The official finds his son healed. Verse 51 through 54. It says, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, that, he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea 
to Galilee. So that next day, even before he makes it back home, his servants probably are so thrilled, they run out to meet him. They tell him that the son was recovering. And then the official stops him and says, okay, when did this happen? I'm sure he had an idea of what he was getting at there. And so they tell him it was the seventh hour. That would have been at 1 p.m. And that's when he knew, that's exactly when Jesus said, your son will be healed. But notice again, friends, that it says that the official believed. He believed. Now, if John already said that the official believed, why does he mention it again? I mean, if he, if he believed that, that Jesus could heal before the sign, why would he say after the sign he believed? I mean, of course he would have believed that Jesus had the power to heal. If he already believed that before the healing, and if Jesus has now healed him, why would John say that again? I think he says it again because John has more in mind than simply the power to heal. I think this man, this official, not only knew that Jesus had the power to heal, but now he believed that Jesus was the Christ. Remember at the end of the first sign, the wedding miracle, it said this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the disciples saw that sign and they saw his glory. They understood Jesus' true identity. They connected the sign with the glory. You see? They understood Jesus' identity. And likewise, this official, he connects the sign with the glory of who Jesus is. And not only was it him, but it mentions how his household believed as well. They understood that Jesus was the Christ. So, like the disciples, they would have needed to grow in their understanding and knowledge of who Jesus was, but they got it. They had this faith that Jesus really was the Christ. And that's, again, the point of these signs, that people would hear about them and have their hearts pricked and have their minds opened and to see that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. They would connect the sign that Jesus is this incredible miracle worker, par excellence, no one is like Him, and they would connect that with He is the Son of God. And it would lead not only to just this faith that He's a great man, a great miracle worker, but He is the Christ. They wouldn't stop halfway and have a superficial faith, but they'd have a faith that is awoken to the reality of the glory of Christ. Friends, as you're sitting here today, have you connected the signs of Christ with the glory of Christ? Do you understand the glory of Christ in your life? Has God opened your eyes and opened your heart to see that reality? Don't just settle for Christ is a great man, Christ is a miracle worker. The whole point is to drive you to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that like that official and like his household, you would believe in his name. And that's what it is, friends. It's not about you going to church. It's not about you performing good deeds. It's about you placing your faith and trust in Jesus. That is what it's about. 
He didn't come to do all these signs just so we could kind of look at him and say, oh, that's great, you did all that, but going to heaven is about me doing good deeds. He has done these things. We simply believe. And let today be the day of salvation. Just like that man went and saw Jesus, let today be the day when you believe in Jesus. You don't have to go through hopes. You don't have to walk 14 miles uphill. The message has been given to you. You simply embrace it and believe. And that's it. Hallelujah, right? The passage closes with that wonderful verse. It says, This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So we've seen two signs so far. And each one is spectacular. And that first sign, Jesus turned not only water into wine, which, of course, nobody can do, but he turned a massive amount of water into wine, didn't he? And not only did he turn a massive amount of water into wine, but the, the wine tasted really good, right? God doesn't make subpar wine or anything. And here in this second sign, Jesus not only healed the official son of a deadly illness, but he healed him without even touching him. He just declares it. And we're going to see this pattern with all the seven signs. I mean, every miracle is amazing, right? But the miracles that John selects are remarkable, even more remarkable than other miracles. I want to close by making three points, though, about Jesus and healing, and particularly why he heals. I think it's important that people understand why is it that Jesus does all these healings and so forth. Let me just point out three reasons as we close. The first is this. Jesus, his healings demonstrate his love. They demonstrate his love. I mean, it's one thing to say God loves us, but it's another thing to actually see tangible tokens of that, right? And I think this is a tangible expression of God's love for people. Jesus did not like to see people hurting. He loved them. He had compassion on them. And he would often heal just out of a simple heart that wants to love people. Examples you see, Matthew 14, 14, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. In Matthew 20, Jesus healed two blind men who cried out to them. It says, Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. In Luke 7, there's an account of the woman whose son died. In verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Other passages point to how it is Jesus' love that compels people. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Is that how you view Jesus? As someone whose heart is filled with love and he wants to bless his people by providing healing. Secondly, Jesus' healings demonstrate his identity. This is what we've been talking a lot about here. We're going to know that Jesus is not going to meet the expectations of the Jews they were looking for someone to liberate them politically. Jesus had come to bring spiritual liberation. Matthew 11, though, I just point this passage out to you, going outside of John for a second. Even John the Baptist himself later started having doubts about Jesus. 
whether he was the Messiah. And what does Jesus say when he's asked? Some of John's messengers come to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? He says in verse 4 and 5 of Matthew 11, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to him. So to demonstrate his identity, Jesus points to these healings that he does. This shows that he is the Christ, the Son of God. We should go back to that again and again when sometimes we're struggling or doubting about Jesus, what's going on in my life, to remember his identity based on these things that we see in the pages of Scripture. And then lastly, Jesus' healings demonstrate the presence of the kingdom of God. You know, that was Jesus' message when he came on this planet. He again and again said, the kingdom of God is here, right? And the kingdom of God is Jesus' redemptive reign that he is bringing into this world and is going to culminate one day when he returns. You say, well, how do you know that it's arrived? How do you know that the kingdom of God has invaded this place? Well, healings are a sign of the kingdom's presence. In Luke chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus tells the 72 disciples when he sends them out on a mission trip, quote, heal the sick in it, speaking of the town, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So Jesus' healings demonstrate the kingdom of God and then serve as a foretaste as this has been invade, as it has invades this earth, that it's a foretaste of the new creation when there's going to be no more sickness, right? It's a down payment of what's to come. And friends, God uses healings to draw people to Christ and to enter into his kingdom. It was this way in the early church. And friends, it continues this way to the present. Just look at China, for example. This nation has experienced the greatest surge of growth, church growth, in Christian history. In 1975, there were 2.7 million evangelical Christians. 2010, that number had ballooned up to 75 million Christians. I mean, it's insane, that growth. That is so incredible. And miracles have drawn many to Christ, according to reports of the official Christian China Christian Council, nearly half of the converts in the last 20 years were drawn to faith because of a healing experience. Another researcher claims that 90% of new Christians cite healing as a reason for their conversion. Whatever the exact number is, it's making a profound difference, isn't it? For the catalytic growth of the church in China. And even secular sources recognized this. 2005 Washington Times article said, quote, one of the driving forces of Christianity's growth in China has been its association with healing powers, particularly in rural areas where basic health services are lacking. David Aikman, he's an award-winning journalist. He worked for Time magazine for 23 years. He wrote a book called Jesus in Beijing, How, China, how Christianity is Transforming China and Changing the Global Balance of Power. He says, quote, it is difficult to investigate the phenomenon of Christianity in China today without hearing stories of miraculous healings. Friends, Jesus is the same. His purposes have not changed. 
He still wants to demonstrate his love, his identity, and the kingdom of God's arrival here on planet Earth. He's not changed. In fact, he can't change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus has the same power. He can heal from afar. Just like in our story, Jesus can simply command and people are healed. And Jesus is the same in America as he is in China. Jesus hasn't changed. But I wonder if we need to do a little more changing. I think a lot could be said at that point, but let me just point out one thing that we would look to him with greater earnestness. In our story, that man came to Jesus in a state of desperation, didn't he? I don't know that I've ever heard of a story of a healing or any kind of miracle where it took place in just a moment of peace and tranquility. If you look back in your life when maybe something has happened where the Lord has moved, isn't it almost always in a place where you are in a state of desperation, where you realize your absolute need for Christ and how you have run the gamut of your power and your resources and you look to Christ alone as the one who can intervene in your life? when you've been humbled and now all the glory goes to God, and I think sometimes when you look at other parts of the world and you see the prevalence of these healings and so forth, it's because in many places they don't have anything else. All they have is God, but that is all that they need. So I think if we would just approach Jesus with this type of earnestness, we would see things differently here in this culture and in our country. Now, I'm going to be clear, there's no guarantee that Jesus heals every time. He is still sovereign. He heals according to His will, doesn't He? But if we come with greater earnestness, we will see His power more often. Do you believe that, church? Well, this morning, I want us to do something a little different. Go ahead. Take a deep breath. It's all right. After I pray, I just want us to have a time of response where we focus on prayer for healing. For yourself, for a loved one, or for both. You can pray in your seats where you are to the Lord. If you would like someone to pray with you, we're going to have our prayer team up at the front. If you'd like to come up, just let them know. Get up out of your seats and come up and pray with them. Or perhaps if you don't feel comfortable doing that, we have an insert in our bulletin this morning where it says, prayer request for healing and a blank space there. While we're having this response time, you take out a pen and you write something down and put that sheet of paper in the basket that we have out in the front. And after the service, our prayer team will specifically pray for those requests. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever.
Let's go to him with that heart. Amen, church? So I'm going to pray, and if the, if the prayer team would just come up to the front at this point, and I will pray out loud for our church. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord as it says in Luke 17, 5 and 6, on that sheet of paper, where the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And we sympathize with that, Lord. Here are these men who had seen great things, but yet they still wanted to have their faith increased. Lord, and so we pray for that in our own hearts today, that you would increase our faith. And Jesus goes on to say, all you need is this faith of a mustard seed, like a grain of a mustard seed. And so we pray for that today. Lord, we want to see within your church more healings. Not for our glory, so that we can pat ourselves on our back and say, boy, we have such great faith. But for your glory. We want to see you exalted and lifted high. We want to shout at in our communities, in our neighborhoods, to tell stories about what you have done. We pray, God, for this time now that, Lord, you would stir in us a state of desperation, a state of earnestness, a desire to come to you and cling to your feet and say, Lord, we know that you can, as the leper said to Jesus. We just pray that you will. So, Lord, you know all the different things that are going on in people's lives here, the folks gathered here today, the different things that they're struggling with. Lord, we just pray that you would work in our hearts and minds as we come to you humbly today, laying these burdens down. Lord, perhaps if there's someone here today who also just might want prayer about coming to know you, to know the one who is greater than the sign itself, that, Lord, you might lift them up Help them to look to heaven, place their faith in you, or to come and pray for someone to help them understand who this great Savior is. So, Lord, we give this time to you now. We pray that you be magnified and glorified. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. And all God's people said, Amen.